Thomas. I'm one of the pastoral staff here. And this is your first time. We are glad that you could join us today. Uh, looking forward to our baptism service today. I hope you can make it after service. It's always such an encouragement hearing different stories of grace and how people uh, became uh, followers of Christ. And I really hope if you've never been to baptism service, this could be your first one. And would welcome you to join that. Also look forward to family worship next week. Uh, Man, it might be pretty tight in here with all the kids sitting in seats, so expect us to have a lot of children, a lot of energy uh, next week, but definitely look forward to that. And retreat, um, we look forward to that as well, because we hope that retreat could be a recalibration of our hearts, it could be a season of rest. And the reason why we push it that way is because this is the whole season. We, uh, if this is your first summer with us, uh, we actually are seeing this as a season where we're resting from the normal church rhythms. Uh, summer, we kind of take a break from community groups, we take a break uh, where we just have an acoustic set. Um, but uh, after retreat, we actually see it as, a, as the beginning of us kind of regaining our rhythms again. So if you're, if you're looking forward to joining a community group, that's going to begin around September. We'll have a full praise set again where that will begin around September as well. Um, and so we have a short window before that time happens. And to kind of help prepare for the upcoming season, we're actually starting a new summer, a new summer uh, sermon series uh, that's really brief. But to kind of prep us as a church uh, to get ready for this upcoming fall. And so to kick off the series, uh, we're going to be looking at a passage from Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles or if you have the program, it should be on the program. We'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 4 and we'll look at verses 7 to 16. So Ephesians 4, verses 7 to 16. This is the Apostle Paul. He is writing to the church in Ephesus. And if you're there with me, I'll read out loud as you can follow along. Starting in verse 7. So Paul writes... But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure, the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the reading of God's word. So here's a random fact for you that seems irrelevant, and yet it's very relevant for all of us, I believe. Uh, 2005, the Associated Press, they uh, shared a statistic that said pianos, the you know, physical pianos, sales in the U.S. have declined 90%. 90%. Back in the 20th century, about 400,000 pianos would be sold every year. That was just kind of a normal business that was there. However, in 2018, the 21st century, not 400,000, but only 40,000 pianos are being sold annually. Very strange, very interesting. Why is this happening? Why are there so few pianos being sold these days? So if anyone plan to own a piano shop, you're in trouble because that's not going to really do well right now. And there's two reasons why the, the, art, the AP uh, Associated Press suggested. One was uh, modern piano restoration. I mean, the pianos are obviously a huge investment, so people are looking to restore old pianos, and they're trying to make it improved, and it saves you money, and there's better technology for that. So that's one reason why 
pianos are being more stored more frequently than before. But here's the biggest reason, which I think all of us can kind of sense. There are fewer kids who want to play piano. People just don't want to play anymore. I don't know about you, but do you remember back when, if you grew up in the church, when you went to youth retreats? At youth retreats, you know what happened during the downtime after worships? Everyone's just in the worship hall, and what would people do? The people who know how to play guitar, they just start playing guitar. They just start jamming together. And that's how a lot of people I hear, they learn how to play instruments, is they would all just kind of watch older people play instruments that makes them want to play. But it was so sad, I heard a youth pastor recently tell me, like, that's not how it is anymore. Nobody plays. During the retreat times, the downtimes, what do they do? They're all just on their phones. They're all just kind of playing games together. No one plays instruments anymore. And it's not just instruments. LA Times in 2021 gave a report saying that only 38% of kids play sports now. That's down from a decade ago, where it was about 50% played sports. And again, there's a couple of reasons why. Cost has increased a lot. The pandemic disrupted a lot of sports leagues all around. But the most primary reason why children don't play is because they don't want to play. They have lost interest in playing sports. And so what's interesting is there's a lack of engagement, and yet when um, you actually read the, the articles that are reported, it's not like kids, they're not interested in sports. It's not like they're not interested in music anymore, because they still listen to Spotify all the time. They're still really engaged with the Lakers and the Dodgers, watching ESPN. They're interested in music and sports, they're just no longer interested in playing it. They don't want to play in it anymore. And the reason why is because uh, an obvious reason is technology has really shaped our palates. Technology has shaped our interests where the more effort it requires, the less inclined we are. We're kind of used to just chilling on the couch watching Netflix. And as one article or one author said, he says, this culture today, what ends up happening is uh, it has shaped us to become professional spectators. We are now professional spectators where we feel like we are doing something and experiencing something just by watching it now, which is a lot different than before. So instead of finding like new recipes, if you're, if you're somebody who likes food, and trying it out, what we'll do instead is we'll watch Iron Chef, and that's good enough to see how the recipe works. Instead of us trying to get to know our neighbors and say, I wonder what people are like around me, instead we will watch reality TV and go, people are strange, people are interesting, and that kind of fills us. And of course, instead of playing music or sports, we'll go to a concert, we'll watch TV. And it's strange, even though we're not personally involved in these things, we feel like it's still something we experience just by watching. Just by watching. That's why even though you don't play sports, you don't play basketball, you'll say, I'm a big Laker fan. Why? Because I watch them. I'm really into basketball because I watch it. Or that's why I am part of the BTS army. Why? Because I watch them. And you identify with them. Because we are professional spectators in this culture where we are a part of something just by watching it. Now here's the problem, when we identify ourselves with things that we have no personal involvement with, it's not just with everything else in the world, it also applies to the church. It also applies to the church. Where for a lot of us, we equate being part of a church as coming to a weekly meeting and we listen to the music. We'll listen to this guy give a TED talk that seems like on every Sunday We'll join things if it's interesting and watch what everybody is doing. And this is how all of us experience church. It's something we can watch with very little personal involvement. But here's the thing. The church, one thing that's actually meant to be unique about the church is that this is the one arena where it cannot be a spectator sport. 
It's not something that you could be a part of by simply watching and observing from a personal distance. Because the definition that we could give of the church that's on the screen is that the church, it is made up of followers of Jesus who come together to display God's glory through active love and service. That's what the church is supposed to be. A group of people who don't just gather, but they are active together through love and service to one another. And that's when you see what a real church is. And so that's what we're going through this new sermon series. The sermon series, we entitled it Every Member Ministry, where we're going to share and talk about, hey, what exactly is the church and what should you expect when you are part of the church? And this is, uh, this, we're doing this for a couple reasons. Is one, we know some of you are here where you're kind of newer and maybe you've had church experiences before, but you're kind of like re-exploring what church is or exploring what Christianity is. And this is a great introduction to what the church is and what you can expect if you ever want to commit and join our church here. So if you're exploring, great introduction to that. Uh, if you're a Christian though, or if you're a member of our church, or if you say you follow Jesus, um, the goal of the series is to activate us. To not just be part of this church, but to be activated members in this church. Because for a lot of us here, you are doing a lot at this church. You're serving, you're helping things, you're setting things up, and sometimes it can get really tiring. And we hope this series could really affirm you that, hey, the stuff you're doing, it's actually really good. And it's more than just clicking PowerPoints or just setting up a, a canopy there's a bigger meaning behind what you're doing, and we hope this series can encourage you. For some of you, maybe you're not just tired, but you're discouraged, where you feel like nobody notices me, no one thanks me, I'm burnt out because of all the stuff that I have to do. And I hope this series could encourage you. Be like, hey, your labor was not in vain. It was not in vain. Uh, many of you, you're spiritually dry. You've been dry, again, since COVID. Like, COVID's still there for you right now. You've just been spiritually just kind of blah these days. And I hope that this series could kind of awaken you. Because you've been deactivated for a really long time. And maybe this is the season to be activated again. And lastly, many of us, um, we need help. We're just not doing well at all. And I hope that we could really be the church this upcoming season. And function like the church is supposed to function. And so to kind of, uh, to kind of navigate through what this series is, um, the goal is not just to have you join education, okay? The goal is not like, and we have sign-ups for all these ministries, so please sign up. Maybe for some of you, that might be the goal. If the spirit nudges you, then don't ignore that. Um, but the goal, again, is just to be activated in different ways in the community. And so today, uh, if you want a preview of the series, we're going to just do an introduction today. But next week, we're going to talk about the idea that every member is with the gift. All of us have a gift, and we want to kind of highlight what that means. Uh, the third part is every member with the, with the ministry. And by ministry, I don't just mean a serving ministry, but some type of ministry, and that's going to be at the retreat. And then part four will be every member with a sacrifice. I mean, hey, to be part of a church, it actually takes sacrifice from each one of us. And lastly, every member with a burden, meaning, you know, we all have burdens, and this is what it means being a church, where we all have a burden. And so that's going to be a preview of the series. But today, we're going to kind of do more of a macro level introduction and kind of answer the question, well, why do we even need a church? I know for a lot of us that's something that we presume, but let's go back to the basics. Why do we need a church? Why must I not just watch but participate in it? And to answer that, we're going to look at the passage we just read, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, the context, again, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he started the church in Ephesus. Uh, he is writing a letter from prison. And he wants to write a letter to strengthen their faith and to encourage this church. In Ephesians 4, the passage we read, it is one long Greek sentence. Even though in our English it shows all these periods and commas. In the Greek, it's just one long sentence. It's a run-on. 
And uh, one scholar describes the passage we just read as, quote, the best description of the church in all recorded scripture. If you want to know what the church is, Ephesians 4, 7 to 16. So we're going to look at this passage in three ways. Number one is this, why we need a church community. Secondly, why the church community needs us. And thirdly, why we can trust Jesus is with both us and the church community. So why we need a church community, why the church community needs us, and why we can trust Jesus is with both of us. So first, why do we need a church community? So if you're familiar with the letter of Ephesians, it's six chapters. The first three chapters, it's all doctrine and the glory of God. And pretty much what's going on is Paul, he talks about in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, how Jesus died on the cross, how he resurrected from the dead, and now he ascended into heaven. Very basic Christian doctrine. Uh, but Paul, he kind of adds a wrinkle where he goes, but you know when Jesus ascended to heaven, he did something. He did something before he left. And look what it says in verse 8 again. In verse 8 of Ephesians it says, Therefore it says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Very strange passage. What's, going, what's Paul saying here? Paul is actually quoting from Psalm 68 and he is applying it to what happened when Jesus ascended into heaven. And he's explained that we know when Jesus went to heaven, he did something. He gave, quote, gifts to men. What does Paul mean by that? Why would Jesus give gifts to men? And what are these gifts? What's he talking about? It reminds me of when I went to Seattle last week. I wasn't here on Sunday. I was, I was in Seattle. Seattle is beautiful in the summer only. But it's beautiful. And I went to the Seattle. And um, before I left, you know, my kids, I feel bad when I have to leave. Because they go, where are you going? Can I come? I'm like, no, it's too expensive. Or, you know, no, I can't come. And so they feel kind of sad. So what I do is, hey, just to make sure that they feel okay, and, and not just Seattle, but anywhere I go, uh, I make sure I give them a gift. I go, hey, here's, here's a gift for you to remember me by, or I promise I'll give you a gift when I come back. And it's just to kind of reassure my children while I'm gone that they have something to remember me by or for them to just feel comforted with. And that's kind of something similar to what Jesus is doing. Paul is saying that, hey, when Jesus ascended, he didn't just leave his followers hanging, but he gave his followers a gift. Now, when we think of gifts, especially if you grew up in the church, when we think of gifts, we think of like, you know, spiritual gifts, like tongues and prophecies and so forth. We'll touch upon that next week. But the passage here, when it describes gifts, it's not listing abilities, but you notice what the list is given after verse 8. He describes not abilities, but people. He lists people. Look what it says in verse 11. Who did Jesus give? Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. That's your gift. I give you these people, and that's your gift before I leave to his followers. Now, why, are, why these people? Why are these folks gifts? What is, what is Paul trying to say? Who are these people? And if you read most commentators and most scholars, what they'll say is that this group, every single one of them, most likely it's because they are the foundational people who established the church. This is the group of people that created this institution and established what we call the local church. Apostles and prophets, they're not around today, but they established a church in the early church. And evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, they grew the church. And they maintained the church. And so to summarize everything I just said, if you caught none of that, very simple terms. What is the gift that Jesus leaves his followers? The answer is the church. The church. A community of believers that come together in Jesus' name where his presence is dwelling and the spirit of God is filling this group of people. Now when you hear that, the church is Jesus' departing gift to his people, 
You might think what my kids thought of the gift I gave them before I left to Seattle. I gave my kids, this is your gift. It was a book. And they're like, oh, <laughs> like very deflating, right? And for a lot of us, when we say, hey, you know what Jesus' gift is for you? The church. Many of us might think internally, what a lame gift. What a lame gift. Because many of us, we don't view the church that way. Most of you, you grew up in the church. And your view of the church, it's primarily not this gift going, wow, what a blessing I'm here. But what? It's a religious duty. I have to be here. I don't even know why I have to be here, but I just have to. Or it's a cultural tradition where, you know, my family just always took me to church. My spouse wants me to go to church. So I'm just here just to make them happy. Church is an obligation for you, not a gift. Or for some of you, you're actually really hurt by the church. The church is actually kind of like a wounded place where you've been hurt by leaders. You've been hurt by friends. You've been hurt by other Christians. And so you come to church more to as an endurance. Like you just, I'll just endure this time together so I can get closer to God. I'm still a Christian, but the church, I'm just going to endure this time period. Because you're hurt. Or many of you, I think this might apply for most of us, you're not hurt, you're not, uh, you're not like angry, but you're just jaded. You're jaded here. Because to be honest, this doesn't do much for you. If Jesus wanted to give you a gift, like dude, give me some golf clubs. I would have preferred new golf clubs. Or give me, or give me a property. A property would have been a better gift for me to thrive. How is this even helping me? And so why does Paul describe the church as a gift? Why does he say, hey, of all the things in the world that Jesus could leave his followers, the, the one thing that he gives us is something called the church. And the reason why is because of what he says in verses 11 to 13. The church is the place, in verse 11 to 13, where God ensures for us to grow more like Christ. Verse 11 to 13, what he, look what he says. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. A lot of phrases Paul is giving there, but all the phrases, they're actually all saying the same thing. It's repeating those uh, three different times the same thing, which is the church helps you become more like Jesus. And we said, if you were joining us in our series a few weeks ago, what does it mean to look like Jesus? It's not this super spiritual person, but it's to be truly human. Because Jesus Christ, we believe as Christians, he was the most fully human being who ever walked on this earth. And that's why Jesus, he is love epitomized. Jesus is love. He is peace. He is patient. He is kindness. And the church is meant to be a gift to us because if you want to grow in peace, in love, in joy, in kindness, this is the arena where you do it. This is the arena where you look like Jesus. This is the arena where you become truly human. You know, there's a lot of things that are hard in life that don't you just wish something could help you just become that person that you hope to be? Like, you know, when I hear young people talk about dating these days, man, that sounds stressful. Like, dating was hard back in the 90s and 2000s, but now you add, like, the online element to it, oh, my gosh, I'd be single for a long time if I was in the dating game right now because dating seems really hard. People don't know what they're doing. It's a new game that's going on. And I, I kind of sometimes think like, wow, like dating relationships, it's so hard to navigate through. It would be awesome if there was something like a dating center, where if you're in a dating relationship or you're looking for one, if you just join this dating center, they guarantee you will find a mate and you will find a great one. Just join this dating center and you'll be a great boyfriend or girlfriend. That'd be awesome. Or I know for some of us as parents, we have a, a parent study that we're doing right now. And all of our parents talk together about what it looks like to parent. And all of us kind of admit, no, none of us knows what we're doing. Like no one taught us how to be a parent. We took Lamaze class, which teaches you how to give birth. 
But after that, good luck, kid. Like, go take care of this child. And none of us really know how to parent. And so one, you know, one thing that would be nice is wouldn't it be great if there was a parenting center? Where it's like, I guarantee if you're part of this parenting center, you will be the best father, the best mother, the best parent that you can be. Just join the center. Now, of course, there is no dating center. There is no parenting center. So we're kind of just left to our own resources to figure it out. In a similar way, that's what we could feel like when we're walking with Christ. To become patient, to become kind, to become loving. How do we do that? Left to ourselves, we're in trouble. But what Paul is saying is it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus has left us something. He gave us what he calls a gift. A church community where the spirit of God dwells in a special way here if we would participate in this. Tim Keller, pastor in New York, he says it like this, quote, Christians commonly say they want a relationship with Jesus, that they want to get to know Jesus better, but you will never be able to do that by yourself. You must be deeply involved in the church and Christian community with strong relationships of love and accountability. And only if you are part of a community of believers seeking to resemble, serve, and love Jesus will you ever get to know him and grow into his likeness. So through the church that you grow into Christ's likeness. Now, the problem is when you hear that, um, again, we, if you grew up in church, you can be skeptical of this. Because, again, you grew up in the church. We see the opposite sometimes in people who are in the church. Like, they don't look patient or kind. They don't look like Jesus. And you yourselves, you go, I don't feel like I'm becoming like Jesus. And that's our experiences of church. And if that's your experience, there's probably one of two reasons why that happens. Because Jesus, Paul says, the church helps you grow like Christ. So why doesn't it happen to us? And I think there's one of two reasons. One is that some of you... You are part of a community at church that has nothing to do with church. It has nothing to do with it. Some of you go to church, and to be honest, it's your social group. You go to meet friends. Or you go because your friends are here. So everything you kind of tune out until you can talk to your friends. And so when that's your experiences of church, it's mainly a, a social, an Asian social club. That's what it's like, where you'll eat together with people in church. You'll talk sports together with people in church. You go to a bar and drink together with people at church, but there's never a spiritual conversation going on. You have a community, but it looks nothing like a church community. And so, lo and behold, it's not surprising that your community looks nothing like Jesus. Because your church experience has nothing to do with Jesus. So it's not really functioning like a church community. It's just a community. That's one reason why it kind of malfunctions for some of us. For others of us, you're part of a church, you're here, but yet you're not really part of the community. You're part of the church, but not the community. You attend Sunday worship. You'll, you'll, you'll pay attention to the sermon. You'll take the sermon notes that are there. You'll join a Bible study if there's ever offered a Bible study. But when it comes to people, you don't know anybody, and nobody knows you. You avoid people. Uh, and you, you feel like, you know, as long as it's me and Jesus, like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll endure this crowd. But once it's over, I'm kind of gone. And the problem is when you think that way, uh, it's, it's a kind of skewed version of how you grow to be like Christ because we think we can learn to be patient like Jesus by learning what Jesus says about patience. But you know what the reality is? You know how you become patient like Jesus? It's when you're sharing life with somebody who drives you nuts. When you're in a community group where that one person is like, gosh, this person just drives me crazy. And that person, I wish they weren't here, but I'm here and we signed up together. Oh, And then you kind of just feel that way. Ooh, right there. That's where... Jesus' patience comes to play. Because this is why Jesus, he establishes not seminaries, not schools, to be the place you transform to be like Jesus. It's a church. 
which is a community of believers proactively involved in each other's lives. And so a couple quick applications. For some of you who are exploring Christianity, just know it is never enough to hear about Christianity reading a book, hearing a lecture, seeing it as a philosophical principle that's there. If you only treat Christianity like a textbook or like a philosophical principle that you are examining, it's like dating someone online and just reading their profile. Sounds great on paper, but you won't know until you actually meet the person face to face, right? And if you want to know what Jesus is really like, you must experience him through his community, through his people. You must engage in arenas in the church where you can meet the body of Christ. Some of you, you are part of this community here at church. But again, your community, it has nothing to do with church. You attend community groups because you love the way people connect with you. But Sundays and spiritual things, that's just kind of not your thing. That's something you don't really care about. Church, again, it's a kind of a social group for us. And I just know uh, when people view church that way, I always tell them, you know, there's a lot better places to hang out than church. Like, there's so many better places if that's your goal, to have fun and hang out. Like, church isn't that fun. It's not mainly the social club that's there. It's meant to do something deeper than that. And some of you, you're part of this church, but you're just really disengaged from the community. Where, again, you attend Sundays, but you'll never join a community group. You'll pay attention to Sundays, the sermons, but you'll never talk about anybody. And, again, I know for some of us it's because we're newer, and I, I totally understand that. Or you're like me, you're an introvert, where you're kind of shy. Uh, but I encourage you, if you really want to know what the church is, you have to know the people. Stick around on Sundays. Join a community group. It's how something happens for, for you to grow and to mature. Because we need the church. Not only that do we need the church, but secondly, the church community, they need you. The church community needs you. We need a church community to become like Christ, but the church community, they need you for all of us to become like Christ. Why? To break it down, there's a couple of things. Number one is this. We're told that every single Christian, we have a gift. We don't just have people given to us as gifts, but we ourselves, we all have gifts. Verse 7, look what it says. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Paul is saying that every single believer, they are given grace, a specific spiritual gift for a specific spiritual purpose. We'll elaborate upon that more next week. But every single one of us, Paul says, is you have something that this church needs. And for us, we take that for granted. But do you realize who Paul is talking to back in the first century? Is a community of people filled with rich aristocrats and a bunch of poor slaves. And Paul is saying, all of you who feel like you're great, you need the slaves there. And all of you who are slaves, you have something to offer to this community. It is this empowering verse to tell everybody you all have a role, you all have a gift, and it's not meant for your personal benefit. It is meant to enrich the life of the community that you are in. You all have been given a gift, and we'll talk about that more next week. But secondly, we're told every single Christian, that gift has a specific purpose. Verse 11 and 12, for the work of ministry. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the church. You all have something to do for ministry. That word ministry could be a loaded term because people interpret that in many different ways. But here's a simple definition of what ministry is. It's a literal Greek word. It's diakonia, which means service. All it means is service. It doesn't mean you're part of this team that does this crazy thing. It just means all of you have meant to have an ability to serve others. Each one of us has that. And what's the church's role? We are meant to equip you, to empower you, to create an arena for you to use that gift 
bless other people with whatever God has given to you. That's the role of the church. Now, this is very contrary to the modern way people think about church. Because most of us, when we think, who does the work of ministry? The pastors, right? The pastors. Uh, I told this story before, so some of you might have heard a story, but I will never forget the story where one time on a Sunday gathering, before worship happened, someone came to me and said, Tom, the toilet's overflowing. I was like, yeah? Where? He was like, the, the men's bathroom, the toilet's overflowing. What are we going to do? I'm like, I don't know. You, you got to do something. Cause how many people going to go to the bathroom? And I was like, why are you telling me this? He's like, because you're the pastor of this church. I was like, I'm sorry, bro. Seminary never taught me how to fix a toilet. But I understood where he's coming from. Because we think, oh, if something goes wrong in the church, who does it? The pastors. Because the pastors do the work of ministry. Same thing, when someone does something shady, a member of the church, like you saw them, they're doing something shady or wrong or sinful, they'll message me going, hey, Tom, this, I, don't know if, I know I shouldn't tell you, but I have to. This person, they're doing something really shady, uh, and you should know about it. I'm like, why should I know about it? Because you're the pastor. I'm like, okay, thanks. Uh, what, what, what should we do? He's like, you should go talk to them. I'm like, oh, why don't you talk to them? They're like, oh, no, 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 you're, you're the pastor. You, you should talk. But you talk to them, and I'll get your back. I'll get your back, Tom. And again, we think that because pastors do the work of ministry, and we all cheer them on, right? Going, hey, if you need anything, got your back. I'll support you. And that is actually the complete opposite of what Paul is saying here in this passage. The reality is not pastors do the work of ministry and everybody gets your back. It's flipped. Everybody does the work of ministry. The pastors equip you. The pastors get your back. The pastors support you. That's what's supposed to happen. Now when this happens, the reason why that matters is because when everybody is doing the work of ministry, serving, caring, ministering to one another, we're told that something takes place in the church. You become, all of you, like Christ. You are all now maturing as a community to look like the way Jesus intended for you to look like. Look what it says in verses 15 to 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, and it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The whole body is supposed to work, and that's when the body is being built up in love. You know, whenever there's a pressing need at church, we're like, you know, because church is hard. Uh, even just Sundays itself, by itself, it takes a lot of manpower to make things work. And whenever things feel really crazy, or, you know, people get tired, they go, hey, I need a break. And totally understandable. People should take breaks from volunteering too much. But you know what the temptation always, always is when things are, like, crazy or we don't have enough people? Let's hire more staff. Let's find some, another pastor to do the stuff that we can't do anymore. Let's hire someone to watch over the AV and the sound. Let's hire a praise team and get them to lead worship and praise. Let's make sure that we hire more sitters so that we let's pay them so they can take care of our kids. Let's hire a social media person so they can make sure our social media looks nice. Let's hire a custodian so that they clean up all these things. Let's hire somebody. And when I think about that, it's very tempting. Because I'm like, you know, there's a lot of benefits to hiring more staff. Because that means no more sign-ups, no more, please sign up, please serve in these ministries. Because we have it taken care of if we hire a staff. No more professional. It would be like, hey, you want to have like professional stuff? Dude, if we just hire staff, just give, your, give, give more, hire more staff. Our church would be super professional. Don't have to worry about how things are on Sundays anymore. And this is how many churches do it. 
many churches will hire more and more staff because we want to make sure that everything is good. But is that the way the church is supposed to be? Is that the way the church is supposed to be? If we hire staff, you know what ends up happening is we are acting more like convenience stores in a church. Because what's a convenience store supposed to do? Make things convenient for you. Church is a place where come and have AC. Come and just chill. Come and just do your thing. Don't worry about bathrooms being messed up. Don't worry about the PowerPoint stuff. Don't worry about the AC. Just be here and we hope you come back, please. And we will make it as convenient as possible. And we think that's what a church should look like. And I tell you, when churches do that, we'd have a large staff. They're all being paid to do it. All of everyone else, we're kind of receiving all that. You will have a very professional church. You will have a very proficient church. You even have a growing church. But I'll say it's not very healthy. It's not very healthy. You ever seen the movie Wall-E? That Pixar movie? Remember Wall-E? What happened? All the people like technology was great. Everything was done for all the people. But what happened to the people? All unhealthy. Barely, uh, just like moving around, couldn't do anything. Because everything was very convenient for them. And even though that's very convenient, it's not very healthy. Same with the church. A church with 500 to 1,000 people in attendance, but only 5% of that church is doing a lot of work because they're paid staff. That church is way unhealthier than a church of 100, smaller, and yet you have about 50 to 60% all involved. That's what the church is supposed to be like. The church is meant to be this activated community where we unleash the gifts of the people here because we are building each other up. And that's what the church is supposed to look like. And so a couple of quick applications for us is this. First of all is when we're part of a church community, we should be aware that the community, they need you. People need your gifts. There are so many ministries happening in our church right now, and I've experienced personally the strength of not when it's just myself or our staff getting involved, but when members themselves get involved. Uh, we have a mercy ministry at our church where we want to do good for the city. And to me, I'm like, let's just clean the park. Like that's literally like, like that's the extent of my imagination of how to serve the city. And yet when we activated members, they're like, hey, there's actually these cool ministries like Olive Crest and OEMC where we could serve the city in that way. And I'm like, wow, we really activated people to bring their gifts to help our church. Those are things that we just couldn't do on our own. But that's when the body of Christ is activated. And there's so many more ministries that we would hope to do. Like, I hope we could do more things for women and sisters in our church. I hope we could do more things for counseling, because I know mental health, that's a big issue that's going on. We hope one day we'd have a youth ministry to pour into them. And there might be a lot of other things we want to do that we just came and think of, because we have limited imagination because of staff. But this could only happen when it goes beyond the staff, when it goes beyond the pastors. When it's people who come together going, hey, we should do this as a church. Just know there's nothing more encouraging than when someone comes to me saying, hey, I have a great idea. Can our church do this? I love stuff like that. I love when people propose ideas. That's the most encouraging things. When I hear the most discouraging things, hey, you guys need to do something like this. Can you guys do this? I can't help, but can you start this ministry? So discouraging. The most encouraging thing is, hey, let's come together. What can we do to build up the body of Christ as a church? And we hope to create more channels where that could happen. Because our church community, we need you. But also, when we're part of a church community, we should also be really proactive in using what are the gifts that I have to bless people here. The best spiritual gift that you have is oftentimes the one that you already have. Verse 16 says it's when each part is working properly. Meaning you already have a role, are you doing it? Uh, when we think of gifts, we tend to think of, like, again, tongues and abilities and maybe so. But I find that gifts in the church is often is also linked to personalities. It's linked to your circumstances. 
to your tolerance level, even to your deficiencies. Some of you, you have very, very low tolerance for kids. Like when you see a kid cry because they can't tie their shoe, you're done. Like I can't, I'll never be a school teacher. That's what people will say, right? But other of you, that does not bother you at all. You think it's cute. You go, I love children when they want me to tie their shoe. Welcome to education ministry. They would love to have you. Because you have this extraordinary ability to be patient and tolerant with people who are younger than you. Some of you, you're really introverted. You're really quiet. You're a deep thinker and nobody notices you. But you know one thing that you could do that's not really formal, but if you're ever in a community group, you know what your gift is? When we talk about the hard part, which is what's the sermon about? You know that part where let's talk about like Jesus. You have that gift to be the first one to say, hey, I have some deep thoughts. And you set the tone. And that's your gift. That's where you're contributing to the church. For some of you, you are anxious around people. You're like, man, you know, I don't like being with people. It's, uh, I feel nervous. I feel my heart beating a lot. There's a lot of anxious that's there. And just know for someone like you, I know that could be troubling in some, uh, some spots, but in other places, you are amazing. Because you know there's a perfect place for you. We have a back room. It's called the AV room. Where you are by yourself. Nobody bothers you. And you're just there clicking away. Clicking away in a dark room. Blessing others. And something you kind of see as this deficiency is actually there that, to bless others. In other words, all of us, we have something. Not just this proactive gift that's traditional, but experiences, tolerance levels. And that's kind of what the church is supposed to be. The church maturity, it's not the size of the building. It's not the size of the people. It's not the quality of praise. That's what we think a mature church is. But this is what a mature church is. This is on the slide. A mature church, oh, oh is there another slide? Take that away. All good. I'll just say it out loud. A mature church looks like Jesus. It's a mature church because everybody is doing their part. That's the equation. Do your part, you become mature, the church looks like Jesus. Neil Cole, now here's a quote, he says it like this, quote, Ultimately, each church will be evaluated by only one thing, its disciples. Your church is only as good as its disciples. It does not matter how good your praise, your preaching, your programs, or, pro or, property, or property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumerist, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not good. And I think that's true. The maturity of your church comes in the activated members. By the way, I say all this knowing that we're busy. I know you guys have kids. I know you have jobs. I know you have work. I know you have uh, personal issues that are going on there. And we have very limited time and to really spend that with, on certain things. But the most important, one thing that seems to be prioritized that Paul is calling for is, is there any amount of time that you're willing to spend in service to others? Is there anything in your life that you're able to do that for, for other people? Because God has entrusted you with something and it's, not, it's meant for ministry. It's meant for service. It's meant to bless other people. And that's when something vibrant happens in the community. Now, this leads now to the last part, which is, well, even if I do all this, can I really trust something's going to happen? Can I really trust God's going to do something? And that leads to why we can trust Jesus will be with us in the church. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 7, 16, Paul, he begins this section saying, hey, um, you are, the church is given to uh, gifts, and he blesses all of you with gifts, but this isn't by chance. He goes, hey, I'm just, I'm just going to toss out these gifts. But Paul actually says, no, it's actually given for a specific reason. Verse 7, look what he says one more time. But grace was given to each one of us 
according to the measure of Christ's gifts. He's kind of saying Jesus is looking at the church going, I'll give you what you need. I'm going to look at every church where my name is dwelling there, and I'll give the church what they need. Because Jesus is the one who's supplying the church. He is leading the church. And if the church is the body of Christ, Jesus, he's here. Because the pastor said that Jesus, he's the head. He is the head of the body, actively involved. Verse 15 and 16. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. The church is the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. And he is the one who's actually still with us, holding us together. We tend to think when Jesus ascended that he's just gone, but, and he's just waiting for us in heaven. But the New Testament says that, no, Jesus is not just chilling on his throne. He's with the church. He's with his people through his spirit, proactively involved, proactively leading, proactively guiding us. Um, we have a lot of pregnant folks at our church. I just went to a baby shower yesterday. And when you're pregnant and you're a mom, uh, you're really careful during pregnancy. Like you avoid raw fish because you don't want to, I don't know what raw fish does, but does something to the fetus, right? Uh, you avoid coffee, you avoid deli meat, uh, you take prenatal vitamins, you avoid physically taxing movements and so forth. That's why our minister, Jessica, she used to give announcements all the time, but the stairs are kind of, uh, just don't do it, take care of the baby, it's all good. And we, parents do all this, mothers do all this because they want to make sure the baby grows well. And so they're very careful during the pregnancy time so the child will be formed well. But once the baby comes out and the baby is born, it's not like parents are like, oh, thank God, okay, whatever. No, they even become more crazy. Especially your first child, you become more crazy where you're more hardcore, getting everything you need to make sure that your child is not just coming out of your belly well, but they're being raised well, being raised healthy. And this is similar to what Jesus does for his church. He didn't just die on a cross so that the church could come alive and give birth and Jesus is like, see ya, hope you do okay. But like a newborn child, he's still there with the church, guiding the church, feeding the church, ministering to the church. And Jesus is with us, guiding us, supplying us with all that we need. And it's only because of that truth that I have a couple of confident principles that I hold dear to my heart for anyone who's here who has a hard time or who struggles or looks to grow. Because my confidence is if you are someone who's spiritually ever struggling in your life, whether it be now or later in the future, I'm never worried for you so long as you're in the context of the church community. If you leave the church community, I don't know what's going to happen. But if you're in the context of a real church community, I have a complete confidence that you're going to be okay. And here's why. Some of you, I know for you, you really struggle deeply connecting with people. You wish you had more friends here. You wish you had more people here who you could connect with. The first week it's cool. The second week it's cool. The second month is cool. But after a year, I understand it gets tiring. Like, is no one, is there no friends here? Is there nobody that's going to be here? And when you're like that and you're in that situation, just know I really feel you because that was me. The first church I went to, I didn't have friends for the first three years of my life. Nobody my age was here. Some of you, you struggle with, like, our class, college class, we're not unified. At least you had a class. I didn't have anybody. It was literally just me for four years. Everyone around me were parents with young kids. I was a recent grad. I had nobody at church. And sometimes I would think, you know, maybe this isn't the church for me because I don't know anybody. It seems like there's no hope that I'm going to know anybody. But this church is still seems faithful, so I'll keep coming. And that's my mentality. And what's really interesting is down the line, what happened was I never became friends with those initial group of people maybe, but people started coming. People started coming to the church. Some people started to mature and get raised up, and they were part of the community. And when I saw that, I was like, wow, like there's actually people I connected with, people who I fellowship with, people I even became friends with. 
Fast forward, two of my groomsmen came from the church. They came from a church that I didn't have any friends with in the first beginning years. And I'm not saying that if you stay here, you're going to have friends. I'm not saying that at all. But what I will say is God is here. He knows you're here. And he will supply you with all that you need in his time. And so that's why I don't worry for people when they say they're lonely. Because if you're a part of his church, whether it be this church or another church, God will supply you with what you need. Some of you, you are struggling not with people but with God. We feel like, you know, I, I feel spiritually dry and it's just kind of tough. And I just know that stay in the context of a church because there will be a season where your dryness will feel like darkness. You're going to be suffering. You're going to be going through hardships. And that's when you're going to thank God that there's people here who know you, who journey with you in sickness, in loss, in death. And it's in these seasons that God, he provides this gift of a community that weeps with those who weeps and cares for those who need caring for. And that's why not just individually am I okay with how people are, but even corporately, um, there are some days in, my, when, in the middle of the night I panic. I'm like, oh, like, are we going to be okay? Um, because sometimes there's some key people that if they're not doing well, you kind of wonder what's going to happen. If, if you're part of our church, there have been some key members who have moved away. Like there are people I'm like, dang, you were like, like essential and now you're gone. Or some people that are serving in key ministries and they, they need a break and they're tired. And it's very tempting for me to think, man, we're screwed. Like, what are we going to do? And when I hear that, that's kind of my natural reaction is we're in trouble. But you know what's interesting is every year God seems to do something where he raises different people to come up and kind of step up. Every single year he brings new people to empower the church community. We have new praise leaders that come up. It's amazing to watch those guys grow. We have new ministry leaders that come up where they're more than willing to help serve and help out. New members, new community builders. And when I see that, I go, you know, it reminds me of my security in the church. It's never with just the people. It's with what God, who's leading this church, how he does and raises up the people. And that's always been the way God has been. Jesus loves his church. And he loves everyone in the church. He died for his church. He's with his church. He will not forsake his church. And he wants you to get involved in this church. Because you need the church community. And the church community, they need you. And so, as we pray, uh, I want us to consider just a couple of things. Uh, I love this church, how people, you know, before we pray, like, just know I'm very happy with our church, the way we serve and the way we're engaged. I love it when we mess things up. My favorite part is when we mess things up. Like when people mess up things in the queues, we forget to stand. It's awesome. We are not professional at all. We are not like this pick and span, like, hey, let's have this nice program. We're a family. It's a family. It's a nice time together in the household of God. Where we want to make things clear, we want to make things helpful, we don't want it to be messy, but, you know, it's okay. It's okay, because I'd rather have an imperfect church where everyone's rising up doing something than a super professional church where we all just receive and three people are stressed out. And I think that's the type of church that Jesus wants to raise as well. And so can I, as we begin the series, ask us to pray for two things. First is this, number one, where are you at right now? Some of you might be in different places when it comes to the church. Maybe you're newer, introverted, scarred, and that's okay. That's okay. But what are some ways for you to get healing? Some ways for you to grow, to get activated again? Or some of you, you're just kind of deactivated. Where it hasn't just been on your mind because you're tired and you're busy. And maybe this is a season where God wants you to be activated to grow and to be involved. Or for others of us, maybe it's something that we need help with. Well, you know, I've been tired because even though I've been giving lots to the church, I haven't been receiving a lot. I need the community in my life. 
And maybe that's where sometimes for us, we need to really consider how can I get more involved in the community where they could really hear my burdens, hear my needs, because that's what the church is for as well. So as I invite our praise team up, meaning Paul G, when I invite our praise leader up, can we take a moment just to pause, to be still, and to pray, and then I'll close this all together in prayer. So let's all take a moment to pray. Let's all pray together. Father in heaven, we come before you remembering your gospel, reminding us, O Lord, that you came to die on the cross to rescue a people who were far from you. But God, you didn't just rescue us and give us life, but Lord, you uh, deploy us. You call us, O Lord, to do what you did to us, which is you served us and you call us to serve one another. It may look formal in different ways involving formal church ministry, or it might be informal, just in little ways, oh Lord, where we seek to really serve and care for those here in this community. And Lord, I just pray that during the season of our church, as we rest and are uh, pausing the normal church rhythms of life, that we wouldn't just rest, but also recalibrate our own hearts and to see, oh God, in what ways can we be used by you to encourage and bless others here? Because God, there, I know there are people here, we need encouragement. We, oh Lord, need ministering too. We need help. This church of God, it could be something that you could really use mightily here in the city. But Lord, it takes the members in this church. And I just pray for those of us who are exploring this church that we could see that this is what the church is. A group of people, Lord, where it's not just convenience and goods, but it's about community getting involved in each other's lives. But also for those of us who call this our church, that we, O oh Lord, could see that we are not meant just to be uh, passive observers, spectators who watch, but people who get involved to different degrees. Help us, O Lord, to be convicted during this series to see how you want us, O Lord, to be involved, to get connected, to encourage, and to spur one another on, knowing that when we do this, O God, this is when the church begins to look truly like the body of Christ. So be with us, O Lord, and we pray this in your name.